This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to Commons People, Huffington Post Politics Podcast with me, Owen Bennett. Yes, I'm back everyone. Calm down. Yeah, Daddy is in the house. <laughs> Daddy? God. Yeah, well, I wanted to say that. Been off on paternity leave and I. Uh, Alright everyone, enjoying that? Ned? No, I'm not alright about that. I weirded you out, didn't I? Anyway. Yeah, I might. Yeah. Let's move on. This week we'll be mulling over the NHS crisis, trying to work out Labour's position on immigration, catching up on a busy week in Brexit news and letting you know what you may have missed amid all the noise and confusion of the week's politics. It's not just me here, of course. I think it would be wonderful for you all. We also have Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. We have Martha Gill. Hello. It's up the energy. And we have Paul <laughs> War, of course. Hello, Paul. Hello. If um, you're daddy, who's mummy? Let's not do this okay. right now. Okay, probably Graham. Bless him. Anyway, but first, the NHS. Earlier this week, the Red Cross claimed there was a humanitarian crisis facing the organisation. Uh, the Red Cross said that its vehicles have been used to help transfer patients home from hospitals to help free up beds. Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt appeared in the Commons on Monday and seemed to suggest that one way to tackle this was to scrap the four-hour target for seeing people who came to A&E. This government is committed to maintaining and delivering that vital four-hour commitment to patients. But since it was announced in 2000, there are nearly 9 million more visits to our ANEs, up to 30% of whom NHS England estimate do not need to be there, and the tide is continuing to rise. So if we are going to protect our four-hour standard, we need to be clear it is a promise to sort out all urgent health problems within four hours, but not all health problems, however minor. Well, that went down like a bucket of cold sick, the idea that it's actually too many people turning up to A&E. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn seized on this at uh, PMQs and he had some strong words for Theresa May. Earlier this week, the Prime Minister said she wanted to create a shared society. Well, we've certainly got that. More people sharing hospital corridors on trolleys. More people sharing waiting areas at A&E departments. More people sharing in anxiety created by this government. NHS, Mr. Speaker, is in crisis. Crisis. NHS crisis. Are we actually in an NHS crisis? Is this all a bit of uh, hyperbole? Paul, what do you think? Well, I think what was interesting about Corbyn in that PMQs exchange was how he yet again had another success at PMQs. You know, he put the ball on the back of the net. Often he's been accused of, you know, missan open goal. But, but there um, were some people this week saying that he missed an open goal. No, right? I, I disagree I, I disagree with that. I, I thought yeah. he actually did very well. And particularly that soundbite sums up what went out on the news and that's what people will hear and that's the main cut through you've got as leader of the opposition 
Um, there's some debate about where he got that shared trolleys line and shared society. I mean, there was a cartoon in the in the Times, but I'm told his team came up with it on Monday afternoon and they hammered it around in a little sort of session, which suggests actually they're doing a bit of advanced planning. Monday afternoon for Wednesday. Yeah, but we'll, anyway, we'll, we'll move on to that later. <laughs> I mean, advanced planning. Jerry but Corbyn, but the bigger point is that obviously, um, and we will talk later about you know um, Jeremy's alleged day of chaos. Um, but it's been a week of chaos for the NHS and a week of chaos for the government. And that Jeremy clip hunt, Jeremy Hunt clip, highlighted, highlighted, I got his name right, highlighted actually the real problem that the government got, which is how do you get out of this bind of an aging society and increasing pressures on A and E? You've got problems with GPs, people are turning up to A and E, not all of them with urgent cases. How do they meet these targets that they're still committed to? And that was the first sign, the first whiff that the government wanted to sort of water down those targets. That's why it mattered. And it was chaotic the way it unfolded. He tried to pitch it. He was accused of watering down. Then he said he didn't. We saw him chaotically running down the street being pursued by a Sky TV reporter. And then on the day of the PMQs, the the Prime Minister tried to defend it again. And that kind of unraveled. And we then had... Simon Stevens, we'll come on to him later. Mm. But that this period of a few days has actually been very chaotic for the government on the NHS, with good reason, because it's a major, major problem. But the thing is, this is not something which people didn't wake up one day and go, oh my gosh, there's a crisis in the NHS. We've, this has been coming, like a boulder rolling down a hill for a, a long time. I mean, one of the big things that's causing it, they think, is the fact there's a lack of money going into adult social care. Now, that comes out of council budgets. Um, the, a, the LGA this week, um, or rather last year, sorry, revealed that councils had to contend with a £5 billion funding gap for adult social care between 2011 and 2016 as a result of the reduction, 40% reduction in funds handed over by central government. So is it just we need to just put more money into the NHS and adult social care? Is it just a lack of money? I think also one thing that the government's defence of what's going on, which has been quite weak, is this line about, oh, it's winter, it's always tough at winter, which you know, this year it does seem it's, it's more extreme than it has been in the past, and they know winter's coming. Winter's not sort Winter of... Winter doesn't even start Yeah, yet, well, it? exactly. It's not sort of a random occurrence. They, they know that it's a difficult period of time with the NHS. So, even if, you know, they should be prepared for it. There's, de- there's definitely kind of solid evidence that it's, it's, it's got worse this winter than, than it has been before. I mean, we've got a situation, a story in The Guardian, uh, yesterday that there was 23 hospitals were on black alert. That's really quite serious. We haven't seen that before on that scale. So there are sort of indications that this is not just a, a ramping up of a winter crisis that happens every year. And the Department of Health themselves admit this. Jeremy Hunt admits it. Look, they, we've had a record number of admissions to A&E over the Christmas period they're not disguising that this is unprecedented they're actually saying that's why they want to have a look at this target because it was one way out of it sort of trying to massage the figures well yes but then then again yesterday one of the nhs guys said actually we should maybe refine the figures so that actually you're seen within two hours for really emergency cases and it got buried amongst everything yesterday but it's quite an interesting idea for everyone just to recap believe it or not when you go to a e the target is you should be seen within four hours and not just seen, treated. That's really, really important distinction, treated. Um, and and there was a guy um, who's a senior person at the NHS Improvement who said, actually, maybe should we should look at the priority cases and treat them, have a new target, treat them within two hours. And I think that was quite interesting. I mean, the way the NHS works anyway... Um if you go to A&E, you have a really serious problem, like I don't know, a knife sticking out of your head, you get seen immediately. I think this is something that happens anyway, uh, that the really serious cases get seen really quickly and then everyone else gets kind of left until around four hours. 
Um, he tried. I, I watched uh, Jeremy Hunt on Wednesday after PMQs. He, there was a health and social care debate where he kind of clarified the message a little bit. So he said it's totally spurious. To, he, he kind of defended the four-hour target, saying it's the best one of the best things about the NHS. Totally spurious to suggest he was scrapping it, but something needs to be done about all the people who don't actually need to be in A and E. Uh, but then even when he got the line a bit straighter, he still left himself open to a very good attack from. Uh, so it was Labour's Louise Elman brought this up, but but lots of people could have done, which is that you're closing all the off all the other routes for these people who have problems but perhaps don't need to be in A and E urgently. Like, gee, it's very difficult. CGPs, community pharmacies, another big problem. They're they're all being closed around the country. Um, a large number of them are. So 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 I think that's once Jeremy uh, Hunt gets his message straight, that's where he's going to be attacked. So politically, next. do you feel like we've got a bit of a a perfect storm at the moment in the sense that we've got a party Labour which is very, very comfortable talking about the NHS. It's always been a strong point for them. And there is a genuine NHS crisis happening. So it's actually, this isn't, I wouldn't say it's opportunism, but it's it's all coming together and it's really is putting the government under pressure. But don't forget, of course, Cameron uh, famously claimed that Ed Miliband was trying to weaponise the NHS mm. and it didn't make a blind bit of difference for Labour in 2015 general election. So the people like Caroline Flint, who Martha reported on this week, you know, have, have sent out a bit of a warning at the weekend saying, look, we can't rely on this talk of crises all the time. We've got to look to the long term. We've got to have cross-party approach which is we're not just a protest movement, we're, we're in business of government, we've got to come up with solutions. And speak of solutions, obviously money is the really big thing. And that's why Simon Stevens' evidence yesterday at the Public, Affair, at Public Accounts Committee was so important. Because so who Simon Stevens is again? Simon Stevens is the chief executive of the NHS, and um, he's a fascinating creature because he was Tony Blair's health advisor in number 10. He was also Alan Milburn's advisor when Alan Milburn was health secretary. And he drafted in 2000 this NHS plan. It was his work and I, even right back then he was known as the the deputy secretary of state um this is early you know in the blair government and now he's running the whole show he's be, he was appointed by cameron 2014 he's the guy who runs the nhs in england and the reason he matters is that he can't be sacked by david cameron uh, by <laughs> theresa may cameron, <laughs> certainly yeah. not by theresa may so he's got this um, a bit like Mark Carney, he's got this clout that very few cabinet ministers have. He can put his fist on the table when it comes to any negotiation with the Treasury or Number 10 and say, look, I want this, I need this. And the NHS, unlike any other department, obviously is the one that politically has most salience. Now, he said um, originally to Osborne and Cameron, look, I, I need 15 billion to make this service work. He got 8 billion. And, and at the last election, that was seen as quite a big coup for any department to get an extra increase like that. Um, of course, that then has played out its own political debate because the Prime Minister says, well, we've given you 10 billion, so we've given you more than you ever asked for. He pointed out yesterday, look, it's a stretch, he said, to say that the NHS has got more than it asked for because basically we asked for a lot more and you didn't give it to us. And the reason that upset number 10, obviously, is because he's got this status as someone who's independent, non-political. A lot of Tories have a bit of a hollow laugh about that. They see him as an arch right you know they even see him as a bit of a Cameroon they see him and if you're a May supporter being a Cameroon is even worse than being a, a Blairite he just asked Nicky Morgan but the interesting <laughs> thing about Simon was and sitting through three areas of his evidence yesterday was what a combination he is of of politician civil servant debater and showman I remember 
way back in the Oxford Union, he was Oxford Union president between Boris Gove's ter- Boris Boris Johnson's <laughs> term and Michael Gove's term. Um, and was that when you were there? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not dropping that in at all. But the really interesting thing was that Simon Stevens was chairing this Oxford Union debating society. Why? Because he was really good at it. And he showed that again yesterday. So he had lots of barbs at Theresa May, lots of barbs at government policy. And he did it in a not just a theatrical way, but a quite a hard-hitting way. It's no wonder a lot of the Labour backbenchers thought, oh, God, if only we could have him as leader. Did he get your vote when he stood? I didn't vote in those elections, can I just say. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. So a new year and a new Jeremy Corbyn, right? Well, that was very much the message coming out of the Labour's leader's office this week, ahead of a speech on Brexit on Tuesday. The day before the speech, journalists were told that Corbyn would say, Labour is not wedded to freedom of movement for EU citizens as a point of principle. However, by the time of the speech, he'd already rode back on immigration control slightly, and the line that had been briefed out in advance was slightly different by the time he delivered it. Let's have a listen. We're not wedded to free movement to the EU as a point of principle, but I don't want to be misinterpreted, nor do we rule it out. He doesn't want to be misinterpreted on that sentence, which doesn't really make sense. Um, so, I mean, I was certainly wasn't the only one that was confused. And on Wednesday, I caught up with Labour's shadow Brexit secretary, Keir Starmer, to get clarity on what the party's position on immigration is. Jeremy said yesterday that um, freedom of movement has to be part of the negotiations and that as we exit the UK, uh, the EU, um, there will have to be fair immigration rules and reasonable management of migration. That's been something that I've been saying for a very long time. Yeah. Do you feel there's a bit of confusion in the message yesterday? Do you feel you need to clarify that a bit? Well, I think, um, as I say, I've said a number of times that um, fair immigration rules and the reasonable management of migration will be part of um, the um, relationship with the EU as we depart, and uh, that's what Jeremy said yesterday. So before we move on to talk about Jeremy Corbyn's so-called day of chaos, I also caught up with Liz Snape, who is a who is the president of the TUC and campaigning very strongly for workers' rights to be protected post-Brexit. And I was trying to get from her a sense of what the union view is at the moment on Labour Party's Brexit policy. Here we go. I think we're dealing with a really hard issue. It's a hard issue for the Tories and inevitably it'll be a lot harder for us. I think it's great that we've got Keir Starmer heading up our Brexit work, a man with uh, real strategic thinking and clear thinking. And for Labour, I think we all need to be uh, raking in behind him, making sure that every part of the party is saying exactly the same thing, that we do have a plan, that as soon as we get any information about the uh, Article 50 stuff that we're actually uh, all doing exactly the same with one plan, with Keir, and that is the only way that we can actually get some input and impact on the Tories and what they're doing at the moment. So do you think there's a a lack of uh, clarity around freedom of movement, which perhaps undermines other parts of the I I think it's a tricky issue, as uh, you know, state the inevitable. Um, It's an issue with many aspects, and I think there needs to be a clear debate within the party about exactly what we mean by freedom of movement, by if we talk about a single market, what does that entail, what rights will various groups of workers have, what groups of workers will be given unlimited rights.
necessary to stay here. Um, it's, a, it's a very difficult um, debate to be had, but we need to have it. And not until we've had that debate should people be making comments that could undermine our eventual position. Is that what you think that Jeremy Corbyn did yesterday? No, I think he was uh, given a number of questions to ask in rather a, a machine gun way. I think he did what he could only do is answer as best he can, but within the party we need to be very clear about how we are going to define um, freedom of movement. And it's an issue for the Conservatives as well. And how does that debate take place? Because you've got people like Chukra Muna as chair of the APPG on social yes. integration, yes. who's going to regional limits on immigration, then you've got people like Stephen Kinnock putting forward a two-tiered immigration system, and people like Diane Abbott who basically want to keep freedom of movement the way it is. How does how and do that, you that's why that? we need a debate? I mean, we've had these. How, debates, do, you, how do you have it? We have we've had these debates in the party for many many years. It's where everybody sits down and you decide what is best for our country, what is best for our workforce, and what is best for business as well. Uh, you know, as a Labour Party, we believe in a strong economy, and it's important that we take all aspects of that in, but that debate is yet to be had, and it's a very difficult one for every political party, not just Labour. And what's your voice in that debate? What do you believe? My view is that we can find a solution that helps the economy and it makes sure that all workers are treated fairly. And which solution is that? <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Paul, what do you make of that? That seemed to me that she was saying, until you know what you're talking about, don't say anything, Mr Corbyn. Well, I think a lot of Labour MPs would have agreed with that this week, given, having seen the U-turn on a U-turn. Um, there's no question that was a, there was a big problem in the way that speech was delivered and, let's be honest, in the way that there was a lack of thinking beforehand about how he would be asked about it. Um, the, the key thing, I think, is this problem of trying to square the circle and the government's got exactly the same problem, square the circle between curbs and migration, which a lot of the population want, and free trade, which a lot of the population want with Europe. And Labour's position, and Keir Starmer is trying to articulate it there, is, look, we want changes to freedom of movement, and we want the economy comes first. So you've got those two positions. Now, you can kind of make them work. It's going to be very difficult to make them work, but that's exactly the problem Theresa May's got. But they're going to have to make it work because if you, the alternative is just dropping out of, of the European single market and having just basic WTO rules, which is a very, very hard Brexit. So both Labour and the government seem to be wanting this kind of way of merging both priorities. The difficulty for Corbyn, of course, is that pre brief beforehand that he's not wedded to freedom of movement, which is a Keir Starmer line. In other words, we'll have changes. We've got to have changes. And then he said, um, but we don't rule out sticking to it either. Now, I, I was told, and I put it in the war zone only yesterday, that Diane Abbott played a key role in shifting his, his opinion on that. But it wasn't just Diane Abbott. I was told there were people around Jeremy who decided, look, this is this is not going to work for us. This has gone too far. It was a nice idea, but actually we've got to build in a trapdoor here and just reassure the rest of the party to keep it together that actually freedom of movement may still be one of our priorities. And that's interesting. Now, you went to the speech in Peterborough. I mean, talk to the day, because the idea was that Jeremy Corbyn was going to talk about immigration, about Brexit, mm. right? And then 
he has interviewed <laughs> on Radio 4, and John Humphreys sort of threw away a line of, oh, do you believe in having a maximum income? He's like, yeah, definitely. And all of a sudden, it became like <laughs> yeah. the Rooney tax. And yeah. everyone was going, well, footballers. I think the, the plan about Brexit lasted about an hour, no, yeah. half an hour between his ITV interview and the Today programme interview. Yeah, so he throws out the idea of having a, a cap on maximum maximum pay, which he then repeated in an interview on Sky about half an hour later, which made it amusing at the end of the day when a uh, spokesman for Corbyn said that uh, Jeremy had mis- misspoke when he said he wanted a maximum pay and rather was actually talking about uh, laws to affect the ratio of pay between the bosses and workers. But why was he talking about it in well, the first place? Because <laughs> <laughs> he believes well, in it. Because you're <laughs> on their grid. They sent out the speech to us as he was yeah. about to speak and you could literally see where they'd cut and pasted in a bit about yeah. the, well, this, exactly. this maximum and, pay. And you I'm, see the gaps I, in the speech. I'm told that the kind of bit on, on the pay, maximum pay and ratio pay was added into the speech around two o'clock-ish. Now the speech was given at half past three. So that was kind of a, a last minute addition. And what was funny about that is that not only were they adding in a section about a cap on maximum pay they weren't they're adding in a u-turn on a bit about maximum pay to make it about changing the ratio of pay workers have which maybe has it kind of works better and has more support i mean ed Miliband afterwards said you know that's sort of a more appropriate way to talk about the issue but like you say it was in terms of but extraordinary day and, and two u-turns in the space of what but 12 they, hours they still insist i mean they said yesterday people close to corbyn that actually they've considered that that whole day well, a success i think in a way they've that got everyone talking yeah, about I, pay rates and, I think and maximum pay and inequality given given the um and that's the, that's a yeah. low but bar they, you might say <laughs> but, but i mean at the beginning of uh, begin, beginning of the the week, uh, maybe the beginning of last week, they were sort of saying, "Oh, we're not going to, we're not going to. Uh, our media strategy is going to be ramp up bad stories and not try and withdraw them because any 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 publicity is good publicity." So I d- I'm not sure. And, and also the idea that it would be to let Corbyn be Corbyn and that absolutely dreadful phrase well the two things they did was they didn't let him be Corbyn on freedom of movement initially and when they briefed the lines overnight and then they didn't let him be Corbyn about maximum pay cap by the time it got to three o'clock in the afternoon because they changed it to a different policy so they did the opposite and of course that it's, idea it's is. worth remembering why he was in Peterborough at all it comes back to, <laughs> to, to, to why, why, why was I in Peterborough why, at all? why was he in was Peterborough thinking. why was Jeremy Corbyn in Peterborough it's a key marginal Labour yeah. Tory marginal Labour held it as recently as 2005 the MP there uh, Stuart Jackson, it's got a tiny majority, mm-hmm. nine, 1,900 votes. They vote 60% mm-hmm. voted leave in the referendum. And it's really interesting, on page five of Ed Balls's biography, his recent memoir, Peterborough appears. Why? Because it was the last seat he visited before he went back to Morley on election night. Peterborough was that important to Labour that Ed Balls spent the election day banging the drum saying, please vote Labour. And we know, and we know what happened. They lost Peterborough. I mean, the majority came down. But just because to show again that for Labour, Brexit is still an issue, and so is freedom of movement. But I think just one last thing on that: with the, I think if the freedom of movement position that Labour has is really difficult for them. I mean, with different MPs thinking different things on the on the pay issue. That did have cut through. Now, you could argue that it overshadowed their big relaunch about Brexit. But given that they don't really know what they're talking about in terms of their position, maybe that wasn't such a bad thing. And if people are just hearing, you know, Jeremy Corbyn thinks that you know big executives are paid too much money compared to your average worker. If that's the message at the end of the day that came out in news bulletins, that's not necessarily such a bad day's work. Even if, if one, someone like us is following it minute by minute, it looks like a complete shambles. I mean, we've, I have had good fun mocking Jeremy Corbyn for basically screwing up. And yet I myself have screwed up this podcast because I forgot to do the quiz earlier on. 
NHS. <laughs> oh, resign. Resign. So um, this is my little U-turn. The, so let's let's just pretend that we haven't done that. Face the PLP. Let's go back to... <laughs> let's have a quiz about health spending. You know the NHS is in crisis. You can edit this, can't you, John? Yeah, he's yeah. shaking his head. He's, no, he's nodding. John's saying no, not. So according to OECD figures... Oh, this right. is... I'm Experts of acronyms. All right, Michael, go. Go on down. Um, the uh, average GDP spend, percentage spend, is 9% OECD countries, okay? I'm going to give you some countries. Will you tell me if they spend more than 9% or less than 9% of their GDP right. on healthcare? What's the funny sort of, you know, less yeah, or more? Yeah, what are the alternatives? Or more? I, I didn't... Oh, just, come uh, on, is, Jeremy. Surely it's kind this, of like healthy or unhealthy. There we are. Healthy or unhealthy. This, so, this not, podcast is a real That wasn't right, suggestion. Okay, Spain. Right. No, not Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Day of chaos. Sweden. Of Did you just read the first letter? This is half hour of chaos. Sweden. Uh, I reckon they spend more. more. So you reckon they're healthy? Yeah. Sweden is. Is this? Do they spend more than nine percent? Yeah. Of their yeah. GDP, I'd say less. Paul was wrong. It's eleven point one. Damn. Sorry, Paul. That's all right. Uh, I was being counterintuitive. Uh, Finland. I also think more. I'm going to say less. 9.6%. It is more. Uh-huh. Cool. Estonia. That's probably know. quite low, isn't it? I mean, it's former Soviet satellite state. Just mm. guessing. Lower. Lower. Oh, I didn't expect you to know. <laughs> <laughs> is lower. 6.3. The United Kingdom. What? Oh, right. Oh, right. So it's the, uh, the OECD I think we average. spend more, yeah. I'm not sure. More. 9.8%. Well uh, done. And finally, the United States. Oh, l- less. Oh, no, maybe more. it's way more. I can't remember. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, one of it's unusual. <laughs> more. I'm saying more. It is right, more. 16.9%. That is the highest of any OECD country. And Simon Seams would say that's because it's a very inefficient private sector system, whereas the exactly. NHS is very yeah, efficient. Exactly. Uh, I just, it's not in the OECD, but I thought I'd just say it's well, down there. Indonesia. Uh, Curveball. More. No, 2.8%. Ooh. Ooh. So is that efficient or are they just tight? Not good. I don't know. Anyways, that was the quiz. <laughs> Great. All right? I think yeah. It's very yeah. Well done. Yeah. Working it's, parent. Yeah. Anyway, let's <laughs> move yeah, on okay, to Brexit. Right, right. All right, that's the Brexit jingle. Excellent. Graham, Graham will be pleased. Do that again? We've got a jingle for Brexit. Here we go. Very good. All right. So that's the Ode to Joy, that's just being cut short. Can I just explain yeah, that to, the, to those yes, who might uh, There know. we are. Subtitles there for the harder thinking from Paul. Um, there are plenty of discussions around this week involving Brexit in the Commons and on the airwaves. And we're going to, every week, we're going to decide who's happier this week. Is it Tim Farron or Nigel Farage? Farron or Farage? Who's happier Farron without Brexit? Now, going? that's a good, you know, that's solid, quid, quid style. That's solid. Know? That's a good, that's okay. good. Can you keep so, up the alliteration, though, every week? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And I'm just using the same people every week. So, Farron oh, right, or Farage. Right, right. Okay, fine. So, this week we had, I think, for the only kind of Farage side of it, I think we had Theresa May saying on Sky that, you know, immigration is, you know, pretty key above probably single market access. I think we can read that into that. We had uh, the Bank of England's chief economist, Andy. Halden saying it was a fair cop to say the organisation over-eggs the immediate financial risks of Brexit. And then Mark Carney, the bank's governor, uh, had a big slice of su- humble pie when he told the Treasury Select Committee that it's actually the continent that have got more to worry about from, uh, from Brexit than the UK. Uh, financial stability risks around the processes are greater on the continent, he said. So good week for Farage. However, 
here's the twist. Was it a good week for Farron? Perhaps because um, the HSBC chairman Douglas Flint said Brexit could bring the city crashing down like a Jenga tower. Yeah, and warned that many banks already planning to leave the UK because of ongoing uncertainty. Um, Angela Merkel said in a speech in Cologne that um, the European Union must consider limiting the UK's access to the single market if it fails to accept the free movement of EU citizens. So who do we think is happier this week, Farron or Farage, Ned? I think Farage. I think Farage? Yeah, yeah. I think he's on balance. I think that the better headlines for the the leave. I think you know, with the Bank of England admitting they got their their and sums or their, their like plans Snapchat wrong. Snapchat announced this week they're going to have international headlines yeah, in yeah. London. Everyone's and, going, oh, good people are still. And that's quite a nice one for kind of Brexiteers to point to as well. Kind of a trendy young company investing in the tech sector. That kind of yeah. looks quite good for them, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's worth remembering that. Um, but near, no, more than half of the po- population voted to leave. And if more than half of the population voted to leave, they're not going to suddenly um, stop spending. And consumer spending is really important in all this sort of the economic powerhouse that is Great Britain. It's not just financial services. We need consumers to keep spending and confidence to be high. And it's obvious, if you voted leave, you're not going to be depressed about Brexit. You're going to keep on spending. And that's what we've seen in supermarkets, what we've seen at Christmas, record shopping for, Chris, for shops. Um, so I think, you know, it's worth remembering that all the time. Half this population have voted for this outcome, and we haven't. We've, the problem is that often it's seen through the prism of "whoa, we didn't vote for that." Um, so you know, how are we going to cope? And I think it's just having worth having a little it's a check on all that. Martha, who do you yeah. think is happy this week, Farron or Farage? I think, given the the sort of the baseline we're coming f- from, which is all the gloomy forecasts uh, leading leading up to the referendum vote, sort of any reverse on that is sort of seen as more of a win than a than a co- uh, for the, for the Brexiteers than a confirmation than a confirmation is seen as a win for uh, Farron's side. So yeah, I, I would say Farage probably. And but on the on the and certainly with Theresa May interview on Sky on Sunday, it seems to me that we are moving away now from the single market. I mean, the fact that we've got an internet, I made this point in the Brexit briefing, which I'm doing every Thursday, sign up for. Get in a plug for that. Thank you very much. Um, the, the fact that we've got a Department of International Trade means we're probably not going to be in the customs union because you can't do your own trade deals, right? So for me, that's like a massive yeah. big sign that people are sort of kind of we're sort of forgetting. Unless she's really taken the mick out of Liam Fox. Yeah. <laughs> Unless Liam Fox and Liam, you did a good job, mate. But you know what? We're, we're not going yeah. anymore. Thank you very much. Have we got our own building with the department? No, no, no. Just, 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 yeah. just go quietly. Um, we've. That's, I just think we should have the, the jingle one more time because I'm really pleased with it. That's you singing, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Lack of enthusiasm in the room there. But I'm sure I like the it. Thank I you, do Paul. like it. Thank you. So, Martha, we've got a new section called in case you missed it, which is where we're going to just flag up to people some of those stories that have gone under the radar, but actually are kind of quite important. And Martha's got uh, a great little uh, little scoop you, you got this week on uh, school funding. It's just, so school funding is something that's it's very, very important uh, to MPs because uh, parents in their area get very het up about the quality of schools. So it's something they, they've, been, they've been pushing for is, is more money for schools in their areas. Uh, what disadvantages Tories at the moment is is all the funding Labour put into schools, which mainly uh, advantages uh, city schools and cities. Um, so Theresa May decided to just sort all that out um, and and make funding fairly distributed, so all, all schools get roughly uh, the same amount of funding. But uh, so so her Tory MPs, particularly rural ones, were very pleased about this and very much looking forward to their schools getting more funding. Then just before Christmas, they looked at. The, the figures which were which were published, 
And some of them had nasty shocks because they realised uh, that actually, while the sort of headline figures in their in their constituencies uh, were, were were positive, um, some of the poorest schools were actually losing out. Um, and some of them kind of suspect this is through a sort of civil servants who who were charged with designing this new formula weren't giving enough direction. They kind of muddled it up. One of them said it was like something out of the thick of it. They had no clue what they were doing. Basically, it looks like kind of a blunt instrument. So, so some of the w- worst schools won't, will, will get poorer. Uh, so now that it's starting to hit various Tories, what's going to happen? Um, there's a sort of contingent growing against this new formula. Uh, people like Hugh Merriman, Graham Brady, uh, Fiona Bruce um, are getting angry about it. So there's, this, there's, there's a row brewing, and you saw it this week, PMQ's um, Antoinette Sandback. Uh, brought it up. Um, and, and is there any sense that the government are going to go back and look at this and try and read the formula, so or is it a sense they're not going to back down? Um, it looks like they might have to. Um, there's a there's a kind of, there's a growing there's a growing growing tensions over it. It's still in consultation. They've made that very clear when they responded to the question in in PMQ. So it looks like there is some flexibility there. I think the key question would be, is there any legislation needed for this or is it sort of secondary legislation? Because clearly, if you've got quite a lot of Tory backbenchers upset about it, if there is a vote, the government looks like they're not going to pass it because Labour MPs are certainly not going to vote for (laughs) money being taken away from cities. And if you've got Tories doing the same thing, then it's untenable. The question is whether or not it will take a form of some kind of legislation or whether or not the government are just putting it as consultation. This might be a statutory instrument and they're thinking, oh, well, we don't need a vote so we can get away with it. It'll be interesting to see what the mechanism is by which this is enacted. The interesting thing, of course, is that Graham Brady, the person you talked to this week, is not just an ordinary backbencher. He's chairs the 1922 backbench committee of Tory MPs he's got massive clout Theresa may even refer to him as Sir Graham Brady by mistake when she was uh, <laughs> revealed she? as leader oh. so I want to thank Sir Graham Brady oh I mean Graham Brady so <laughs> only a matter of time yeah, that's a, but that's he, behind difference. the scenes Graham obviously has a lot of impact and um, the fact that he's said it publicly is really important Excellent. Thanks so much for that Martha so uh, there we are first podcast back what do you reckon I mean Ned's basically asleep what? Yeah, yeah it's, it's much. great. It's right, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. again next week. Yeah, a bit, bit better next week. Bit better next week. Okay, yeah. we'll up it. Better back. quiz yeah. next oh, week. Geez. Come yes. on. All right. Come on. Okay, better quiz. Step up. But the jingle's good. Yeah. Jingle's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, like Martha. I'm, I'm hearing nothing from you. No, I need some pro jingle. Graham yeah, would love it. That's all I'm going to say. Right. See you later. He's Bye. <laughs> when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.